That's how Hogan looks all week long in the office. <laughs> well, good morning, everyone. We are, as Ted has already mentioned, coming to the end this morning of our eight-week series on the Beatitudes of Jesus Christ, the famous, famous Beatitudes of Jesus Christ. And I knew as I laid out this series that it was going to come to this. And what I mean by that, of all the statements in the Beatitudes, of all the, the messages you look forward to, to preaching on the Beatitudes, this is the one I was the most nervous about. This is the message I would just as soon avoid. Because here we are on the eighth beatitude, and Jesus introduces the critical subject of persecution, of religious persecution. Uh, what is religious uh, persecution? Well, it's the, the cruelty, the, the unjust treatment of um, someone because of their faith. In our case, of faith in Christ. And this is a subject Jesus takes on in this last beatitude today. And this beatitude is different than all of the other seven. Because the first seven are short. They're like 10 to 14 words. They're a verse. We come to this last beatitude, this um, beatitude on persecution, and it's over 60 words. It's three verses. That's not because it's the most important. It's because this beatitude is the most difficult to swallow for all of us. It's the one that makes us the most uncomfortable. It's the beatitude of um, all of them that seems the most contrary to what Jesus is saying. I mean, the beatitudes are about the blessed life, the best life, the happiest life. And what Jesus says this morning is the blessed life is the persecuted life. Come on. Actually, what Jesus is doing here is profound. It's, it, it's remarkable. Because in this last beatitude, Jesus is moving from character to cost. He's moving from the character of the follower of Jesus Christ to the cost of following Christ. And because Jesus loves us, he wants to prepare us. I want you to know there's a cost for following me. So grab your Bibles, turn to the very first book in the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. And we will look at this beatitude that begins in verse 10. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So what Jesus is doing, he's shifting from peacemaking to persecution just like that. He's going from the work of reconciliation to the reality of hostility and opposition. Why? Because no matter how hard you and I try to make peace with some people, sometimes we just can't. No matter how humble, how poor in spirit, how gentle, how merciful previous beatitudes, you and I are, uh, many, many people will ridicule us, they will slander us, they will reject us, they will persecute us simply because we're Christians. 
Now, you're a parent and you have a teenager, and that teenager crosses the line, does something regrettable, so you have to step in as mom and dads do, and, and uh, you say to him or her, you know, I'm, I'm sorry this has happened, but you're going to be grounded for this week and next week, and if it's really bad, because we as parents are prone to overstatement, you'll say something like, you're going to be grounded for the rest of your life. <laughs> And sometimes he or she will respond to you, why are you persecuting me? That's not what Jesus is talking about here, okay? Jesus is talking about something different. He's talking about the inevitable collision between two irrelevant, irreconcilable value systems. The world's on the one hand and Jesus on the other. And because Jesus loves you, he is preparing you in advance for problems. There's a cost to following me. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to talk about persecution today, persecution in the present, I mean 2015, and then I want to go back to this passage in mind for what it is telling us about how you and I as followers of Jesus Christ should respond. So let's start with what's going on around the world. You and I don't see it. The media doesn't report it. But what I want you to know is God is doing something extraordinary in some more uh, the most difficult places around the world. And the persecuted church, which is made up of ordinary people just like you and me, is leading the way, leading the charge. These brothers and sisters in countries like Nepal or Niger, Sudan, Somalia, Iraq, Indonesia, Korea, Kazakhstan, and so many other countries stand for Jesus Christ. And in each and every case, they have been given a gift, a gift from God that many of us in the West don't want. And that is the ability to endure hostility and to emerge stronger. Uh, this gift of God to uh, um, endure enormous hostility and endure even stronger. They are enduring and they are emerging. And they are on the front end, they are the vanguard of the movement of the Spirit of God around the world. Uh, take the country of Iran. Christians in Iran are, are, are fully aware, cognizant of, of the fact that if I stand up for Jesus Christ in this country, I'm taking a huge risk. It could result in beating, it could result in imprisonment, it could result in death. Yet as a percent of population, the church in Iran is the fastest growing church of any country in the world. In Syria, amidst all the, the chaos, all, all the, 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 the murder and the, and the mayhem and the uh, incredible dysfunction as that culture is just collapsing, uh, Christians in Syria are under enormous, enormous pressure. And yet they are evidencing a, a, a steadfastness, a, a joy, a, a contentment in, in Jesus Christ. That is supernatural. I know, I've talked to church leaders in Syria. I've been on the phone. 
They have dreams. They have visions. They are seeing God do incredible things in their war-torn, chaotic country. Somalia. Church leaders in Somalia are smuggling Bibles into their country by lying in coffins as they go across the border. Now, when you watch the news, you're not going to see this. You're not going to hear about it. Nobody's going to talk about it. It will appear to you that the church is losing. But the reality is God is doing some remarkable things. I do not in any way want to minimize the displacement, the plight of refugees. I do not in any way want to minimize the the beatings, the imprisonment, the death, the, the torture. Researchers tell us that every month between 100 and 250 Christians around the world are being put to death because of their faith in Christ. Hundreds more churches, homes are are being destroyed because of that commitment to Christ. But what you will never see in the news is the reality that persecution is actually deepening and accelerating the growth of the church in some of the most troubled areas in the world. And they're ordinary Christians. And they're bearing extraordinary fruit because they have tasted and seen the extraordinary grace of God in Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed. Now here in the United States, things are different, but things are are changing. Because what's happening is the, the, the cultural and the governmental opposition to Christians is intensifying. And specifically what's going on is that religious liberty is under assault. And religious liberty in our culture is being sacrificed on the altar of an inconsistent, misinformed notion of tolerance. Now, rather than developing that, let me illustrate that. Blaine Blaine Admondson is a business owner, uh, owns a print shop in Lexington, Kentucky. Because of his faith in Christ, because of his uh, commitment to Christ, uh, not too long ago, he declined an order to print T-shirts for a gay pride parade in the area. Now, you need to understand Blaine is not homophobic. Tragically, too many Christians are. I hope you are not. And the reason I say that is for years, he has employed gays, and he loves them, and he honors them. He he looks at things differently. He's a Christ follower, but he believes he has a responsibility to love all people, but he declined on this order. And as a result, the forces stepped in. There's been a lawsuit. There's been a media frenzy. There's been a boycott of his shop, his print shop. And all of a sudden, some of the major customers that he's built over the years, like the University of Kentucky, are saying, well, if this is your position, we're out of here. And his company is on the edge. It's an incredibly difficult time for Blaine to follow Christ 
here in the United States. Look at what he says. I want you to see this picture, this quote. I can't change my conscience, and I can't mold it to conform to society. God doesn't change, and his scriptures don't change, so I'll hold the line. Now, uh, let me talk for a minute about what's going on here in the United States. It's creating uh, hundreds of situations like this. In the United States, we are free to, a, a guy like Blaine, let me talk about it in terms of Blaine, he is free to worship God at the church he attends. But he is not free to stand for Christ in the business he owns. This is the landscape that is changing. He is free in the United States. This isn't North Korea to uh, attend any church he wants and to worship God for a couple hours a week on, on the weekend, but he is not free to stand for Christ day in and day out in the marketplace and to work in light of his convictions. As David Platt says in his new book, Counter Culture, a businessman like Blaine is being forced to violate his biblical uh, convictions and dishonor his Lord as a citizen in his culture, the United States. Now, my, my, my point is here in the U.S., standing for Jesus Christ is becoming much more complicated Figuring out how, how to love people and how to honor Christ is becoming much, much more difficult. I personally think it's only going to get more complicated, more difficult. And I want to say to you parents, parents hear me in this. One of the things you must do is go over passages like this, blessed are those who are persecuted with your children, to help them to develop a theology, what it means to follow Christ in a changing culture. Frankly, we need to talk about this more as a church, and we will. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted. Persecution is opposition, it's hostility. Uh, at one end of the spectrum, it can be something verbal. At the other end of the spectrum, it can be something violent. And it can be all sorts of things in between. So that's sort of the landscape of today. Now the question that we want to wrestle with is how do we respond what is Jesus saying here? What does it mean for us to look like Christ, to live like Christ in the face of this? I want to say four things. Number one, what Jesus is saying is do not be surprised by persecution. Expect it. Jesus here is predicting it. Uh, Jesus is saying persecution is coming. Now, if you stop and think about it, one of the things um, you got to love about this one of the things that makes this passage hard to preach, but one of the things I really appreciate here is Jesus' honesty. Jesus Christ is not trying to be trendy. Jesus is not trying to entertain. He's not trying to be popular. He's not trying to draw a crowd. He's trying to disciple the crowd. Unlike prosperity preachers today here in the United States and, and around the world, Jesus is not saying believe in God and all your problems will go away. I hope you don't watch that stuff. Jesus is not saying that. Jesus 
is promising problems. Uh, blessed are those who are persecuted. But Jesus doesn't oversell. Jesus doesn't soft pedal. Jesus doesn't manipulate. Jesus shoots straight. He invites us to follow him and he warns there's a cost. Count the cost. Persecution is the cost. Now you and I may not like what Jesus says but you gotta love his honesty. It's so very refreshing. Our Lord is saying persecution will come. Don't, don't be surprised by it. The second thing I draw from this is this, Jesus is saying, uh, see persecution as a positive, not a negative as something that's good for your soul. See it as a, a protein, if you will, not a poison. We tend to see it as a poison, not a protein. I mean, notice how Jesus begins. He begins twice, talking about this subject with the words blessed, blessed, blessed. In other words, the blessed life, the best life, the, the richest, the most meaningful life is, is characterized by different times and different points where there's persecution. Now, come back to this, but then Jesus goes on and adds this stunning statement, rejoice and be glad. Really? I, I mean, who wakes up in the morning and says, man, I, I hope I'm ridiculed today. I hope I'm rejected. I hope I lose my job for Jesus. Because then I'm going to rejoice and be glad. I mean, who, who talks like that? No one. But Jesus Now think about what's going on here. Uh, let's think for a moment uh, about the, these eight Beatitudes as a whole. What are the Beatitudes? They're a comprehensive portrait, picture of what someone who loves Jesus looks like. What someone who is aligned with Jesus' administration, his kingdom, lives like. Uh, Jesus is, is describing kind of boots-on-the-ground Christianity, uh, functional Christianity, not theoretical Christianity. And, and starting with the first beatitude, Jesus tells us these are people, followers of Christ, are people who know their problems are beyond them. They're poor in spirit. And, and they know that their problem is sin, and so uh, they mourn it. But they know their, their deepest problem is not other people in their lives, but themselves. So they're meek. And because they understand that there's nothing inside of them that will establish righteousness before God, they hunger and thirst for a righteousness that can only be found in Jesus Christ. And they turn to Jesus. They hunger, they thirst for righteousness. And having done that, as a result of that, they are merciful. They're not perfect, but they're pure in heart. And they're peacemakers. They bring peace to a situation. Now all seven of those beatitudes are sna snapshots of the person that loves Jesus Christ. And so is the eighth. Blessed are those who are persecuted. And amazingly, Jesus is saying 
that to de the degree in which the first seven Beatitudes are a reality, a functional reality in your life, so will the eighth be. So will this Beatitude. Every follower of Jesus Christ who hungers and thirsts for righteousness will suffer for it. Just finished a book by Eric Metaxas called um, Seven Men. He has a chapter, a great chapter on Dietrich Bonhoeffer in it. There's a statement Bonhoeffer makes. Bonhoeffer was a, the German um, Christ follower, pastor, theologian who resisted uh, Hitler resisted the Nazis and was imprisoned and just a couple weeks, three weeks before the end of the world, World War II, he, he was hanged for his faith in Jesus Christ. And before he was martyred, before he was killed because of his faith in Jesus Christ, he said this, suffering for Christ is the badge of the true disciple. The honor badge, the, the, the merit badge. That's exactly what Jesus is saying here when he says, blessed, blessed are those who are persecuted. It's why this beatitude comes last. Uh, we think of it as a, a poison, it's a protein, it's an honor badge. Let me go on, number When I read this, when I think about what Jesus is saying, one of the things that is really clear to me that Jesus is saying is keep me first. Always, always keep Jesus Christ first. It's the only way you and I are going to get through difficult, difficult times. Now let me back up. Where we get into trouble is um, uh, second things become first things. And first things become second or third things. And so what we have to do is we have to always be clear on our goal, always be clear on our mission, always be clear in the end game for us as followers of Jesus Christ. And what is that? It's the great commission. It's to lift up Jesus Christ. It's to make disciples that make disciples that others might come to Christ and be saved. So our mission is the great commission, not great comfort. And along the way, the reason the church in the United States has kind of de-accelerated and plateaued is we have lost sight of the fact that the Great Commission is our mission, and instead we've substituted great comfort. Don't do that. Stand up for Christ. Lift up Christ. Do not hide in your house. And so what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, keep me first when he talks about persecution. Now, persecution can take thousands of different forms. It can be low-level ridicule. It can be high-level violence. It can be all sorts of things in between. It can be the contempt of a high school teacher, the contempt of a university professor, the contempt of of fellow employees, the rejection of family members or, or, or friends. It can be the loss of tenure, relationships, opportunities, uh, jobs, and it can be much worse. When I came to Christ, I was in college and I was living in a fraternity house. Now, do I need to tell you that's not exactly conducive to growing as a young Christian? 
But that's where I was. And it was very interesting what happened over the um, next couple weeks and couple months before the semester ended. And what happened simply was, and I'm not overstating this, I was slandered. And by the end of the semester, I had lost every single friend I had in the fraternity. There were about 100 guys. Every single one. I went home, all sorts of opposition for my family. What in the world have you done, Rob? You've become a freak, a weirdo. Uh, pressure uh, to, to, to change, to stop, to, to get out before it was too late. Each and every one of us will experience opposition, hostility because of our stand for Jesus Christ, but it's going to vary for all of us. And it's going to vary country to country, uh, city to city, community to community. But how do we respond? How, how do we press through? Well, what Jesus says here is that the trigger for your persecution is also the key to thriving in your persecution. And look at verse 10. He says it's because of righteousness. In other words, because you know righteousness. You know the righteousness of Jesus Christ. God has saved you. He has transformed you. You are a new creation in Christ. That's what we heard from David and Michelle today. We're, in, we're not perfect, but we're in process. And we cling to the righteousness of Jesus Christ because we know there is no righteousness pleasing to God in ourselves. And so Jesus says you're persecuted because of righteousness. And then in the next verse, verse 11 he says the same thing differently. He says, because of me, because of your relationship with me. In other words, opposition and hostility comes because you love Jesus above everything else. And because you are a new creature in Christ, you love to honor and to worship Christ. You love to obey him. You love to serve him. We love to serve. And there is nothing you would rather do. You are a person that puts Jesus Christ first and Jesus says there's a cost to that. And because I love you, I'm preparing you on the front end. We're at the outset, the beginning of Jesus' ministry here in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus doesn't wait for years to go by to bring up this subject. So the key to overcoming persecution, the key to thriving in persecution is the same thing that causes it. Your Christ-likeness, your desire to keep Jesus first, to, to live vertically, to honor him. And when the flag that flies over your heart is the Lord Jesus, sparks will fly. And the key to thriving uh, in the midst of those sparks and when some catch fire is keeping Jesus first. The thing that causes your persecution is the key to thriving in persecution. It's keeping Jesus first. So underneath the, these incredible verses, these three verses, is this assumption of a radical commitment to Jesus Christ. And I realize how, how sobering this subject is. But it continues over and over in the ministry of Jesus. By that I mean Jesus says this over and over. There's a cost. And by the time we get to the epistles, look at how Paul puts it. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul says everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He does not say some. 
He does not say people that live in other countries besides the United States. When Jesus says in, these, in this beatitude, because of righteousness, because of me, Jesus is saying the same thing Paul is saying. It's because you live godly. And it's your godliness that is the trigger, and it's your godliness that is the way forward. All right, now, um, let me go a little deeper and ask the question, well, uh, what does this mean to put Jesus first in the face of persecution? Well, what it means for believers in hot spots where there is extreme persecution, extreme violence, is that they understand, now follow me, they understand that they do not have a secret faith that they keep to themselves. Now they know that as long as they stay quiet, as long as they don't share the gospel with other people, as long as they don't uh, uh, disobey the law and meet with other, uh, other believers at incredible risk, uh, as long as they just stay silent and, and live out a, a private faith, they will remain safe. They know that. But they don't. So they speak up, they, they meet together. Uh, uh, they, they share Christ, they, they stand up for Christ. And so opposition and hostility come. It's because of righteousness. It's because of me. And what I want you to know is these persecuted believers in these troubled places around the world are the new face of the global cause of Jesus Christ. And in the years to come, we are going to be reading incredible stories. And they are right at the vanguard, right at the forefront of this incredible movement of God uh, around the world because they are filled with an unstoppable passion for Jesus Christ, whether they live or whether they die. My buddy Tom Doyle, he's preached here a couple times. He is part of E3 Ministries, the Middle Eastern director, um, in and out of uh, difficult countries all, all of the time. A couple of weeks ago when I was getting ready to preach this message, I called Tom and said, hey, Tom, I want to interview with you uh, during the course of this message. Can you come? And he said, no, I got a commitment in Austin, Texas. But I tried to get Tom here. Tom has just written a new book called Killing Christians. It's talking about what's going on around the world. And in this book, he tells the story of a Somalian named Azam. Azam came to Christ. His father is a um, Somalian pirate warlord. And Azam is one of the church leaders in Somalia who smuggles Bibles across borders by climbing into coffins. I can't even get my mind around that. And Tom here uh, takes a minute and tells about Azam returning from smuggling Bibles and bringing Bibles back. And listen to what he says. Twelve believers, twelve sat on the floor of a brand new meeting place. They have to shift all the time. They prayed passionately for an hour. Many offered prayers for Azam's safety. A sound on the back door halted their prayers. Their eyes opened. They wondered what would happen next. The door opened slowly and Azam stepped into the room and set a box on the floor. A dozen pairs of relieved and grateful arms rushed to embrace their returning leader, Azam. 
as I'm pointing to the box, said these Bibles are well-worn. Our Kenyan brothers and sisters have read them for years, but you should have seen their joy when they gave them to me to smuggle across the border to give to you. They send their love. For another hour, prayers and tears of joy anointed each copy as these believers took ownership of a Bible for the first time in their lives. Finally, Azam brought the meeting to a close. They had stayed together for a dangerously long time. One at a time, the 12 believers slipped out of the house. Just six weeks earlier, six of their members had been beheaded. Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted. Not rejected, not poisoned, but blessed. For us in the U.S., what does this struggle mean? How do we make our, our, our way through this? It doesn't mean we're going to suddenly have to start meeting in, in secret. No, this isn't North Korea. Uh, our, our struggle isn't going to be to meet as a church. Our struggle is going to stand up for Jesus Christ in our schools, in our universities, in the marketplace, in our communities. And it's going to vary community to community, business to uh, business. But first, putting Jesus first means we do not, we knew, uh, do not back down into relative comfort and accommodate our culture while brothers and sisters around the world are standing up to counter their culture. I can't tell you what exactly this is going to look like for you, what your particular situation, how it's going to play out. But I can tell you, I, I talked to some people after this last service that are struggling right with these very issues. They're, they're experiencing the sharp end of the persecution spear in different contexts in, their, in the marketplace. I, I can't tell you what this is going to look like for you, but I can tell you, and I want you to hear me in this, that a privatized, silent Christianity is no Christianity at all. And church, it's time we as evangelicals in the United States stand up and speak up, not in hate, but in love. Jesus was full of grace and truth. May we render to Caesar what is Caesar's, but never render to Caesar what is God's. And our challenge in the United States isn't going to uh, be, can we meet in private as Christians? Our challenge is going to be, can we live out our faith in the marketplace? And it's going to be a cost to do that. And how do we thrive? Jesus says, be Jesus-centered because of righteousness, because of me. And what will trigger persecution is the key to it, the key to thriving. Let me go on fourth, and I'll conclude with this. Jesus says in verse 12, rejoice and be glad. That's, that's just crazy. Re rejoice and be glad. What Jesus is saying is because you're so aware of the sovereignty of God, the love of God, you're, you're so alive in the awe of God, you're so blown away by the grace of God in your life and the forgiveness of sins you have experienced, 
uh, you so live vertically, not horizontally, that you can rejoice and be glad, not in your circumstances, but in your Savior. Because you see Jesus. So as followers of Christ, we do not avoid hostility, ridicule, rejunction, whatever it is, by staying silent. We're not submarines. Uh, uh, we don't lash out and retaliate in anger and bitterness and hate. I mean, that's not Jesus. Uh, we don't condemn people. We, we love people. But we don't lick our wounds and retreat in self-pity, nor do we deny or, or pretend that uh, this isn't painful, this isn't difficult. But what we do do, Jesus says, is rejoice in him and his sovereignty, the fact that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, right? Do we get that? Now, how is this possible? Well, Jesus offers two insights in, in verse 12, and I'll take them in reverse order and we'll be done. First of all, you uh, understand your identity as a child of God. <laughs> uh, specifically, uh, Jesus says, you belong to the same family as the great prophets. Isaiah, Elijah, Daniel, Jeremiah. And one of the common denominators, one of the common themes in this family, this family of God, is the experience of persecution. And so Jesus says when hostility hits you, you rejoice by remembering who's in your family, remembering the family pattern. Remember, you belong to this great family that's gone through great difficulty because you serve a great king. And then second, Jesus says you are joyful, you rejoice, and you are glad because you understand this world is not your home. You're just passing through. And your reward is in the next life, in heaven. And heaven is coming. And apparently your reward for suffering under persecution is so significant that Jesus uses the adjective great. A great reward, a reward that you wouldn't have if you hadn't gone through what you're going through. Suffering, uh, the, this persecution suffer, uh, severs our bondage to the world. It delivers us from the apathy of abundance, from the myopia of materialism. But the only way we can rejoice in it is if we so see Jesus and his lordship and his preeminence, his glorious grace, uh, that we are, are, are confident in our identity and, and we are expectant about our future. I mean, we're focused on heaven. God is the highest good of each and every single person who's ever lived. God is the highest good. And the enjoyment of God and or the enjoyment of God and the obedience to God is the only happiness with which you and I will ever be satisfied. And here in the eighth beatitude, as Jesus lands, as Jesus winds these up, Jesus says, it's going to cost you. And you have to decide, are you in or out? 
People will oppose you. And God will assign difficulty to your name. And Jesus says, blessed are those that persecute you. And paradoxically, these troubling words are some of the most comforting and grace-filled in all of Jesus' ministry. And so church, let me just say, here we are, um, uh, the last AMA 2015, going forward, let's be the church. Let's stand up. Let's submit to Jesus. Let's be loving, not angry, because we're not surprised. Because we understand, uh, according to Jesus, this thing we want to avoid is, is actually a positive. It's a, it's a protein. And we focus on him. We focus on Jesus. We're locked and loaded on Jesus. And we rejoice in his sovereignty. Amen? Let's pray. God, um, we are way over our heads and I am, um, there, there's something about this that makes me unsettled, uncertain. And I, I pray that you would give me, that you would give us the grace to stand for you. Not just to say, not just to attend church, but really to stand for you. And so we come to you and we ask that you would do that in our lives. And we ask now, God, that as we worship this would be some of the most significant worship we have given to you because we love you and we are in regardless. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.